We're doing a sermon series on the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, known as the prologue. These verses have all the dramatic tension of a long, drawn-out, big reveal. It begins before time with an abstract, mysterious description of a pre-existent word, the reason by which creation occurs, bringing forth light and life, especially given to people. It goes on to suggest that there's a purpose and a plan for creation and for human life. And though God articulated this purpose and plan from the very beginning through the creation, people have not recognized it. But something new was to happen that would change the ability of people to see their purpose and to live by it. And this new event would give opportunity for people to make a choice to accept and receive him. If they did, they would be granted power for a new lease on life, a relationship with God as close as child to a parent. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, so full of grace and love and truth that the supply of forgiveness, the energy, to start again never runs out. Moral rules, we're told, are good, but they do not get people access to this superabundant, generous supply of energy coming from God's own heart. Finally, in verse 17, almost at the end of the prologue, the writer gives the mystery a name. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The big reveal is that Jesus, God's word, who begins beyond time and history, entered time and history, bathing it with so much light as to give it a new beginning. In the course of this big reveal, the verses we studied for today almost seem like a distraction taking us off course. We learn the name of a man, John, who was not that light, but who was rather a witness and one who pointed people toward the light through his story. Before Jesus' name is even mentioned, John is mentioned again as one who bears witness to the light and makes it clear that his place is secondary. The Gospel of John tells the story of John the Baptist in a very interesting way. He plays a critical role in the story and the developing of Jesus. John the Baptist is the one who first gave complete testimony to Jesus because he saw the Spirit of God descending on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. And the very next day, he took two of his own disciples who had been following him and participating in his ministry of calling people to a right and renewed relationship with God. He pointed out to them who Jesus was as Jesus walked by, and they started following Jesus, and John the Baptist actually supplied Jesus his first followers. Now, even though John made a, a good theological explanation of Jesus by 
calling him the Son of God and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, words that were revealed to him by God. He continued his own ministry and had quite a following. He was an influential leader. He had people come out to seek baptism from him, to hear his message, and he continued that ministry even after Jesus came on the scene. But we find out in John chapter 3 that when John learned that people were viewing him as a leader in competition with Jesus, he diminished, he refuted that notion thoroughly, made it clear that his own role was subsidiary and diminishing. He was just to point out the source of God's true light and love and said that his joy had been fulfilled. I must, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then we don't hear more of him in John's gospel. It's striking to me that in this mysterious prologue to the gospel, John finds an important place. Even in this dramatic new stage of the unfolding of God's revelation, God used human testimony and human leaders to point others to look at what God was doing. Connecting people to the light of knowledge of God's love is fundamentally cooperative work. It's divine and human together. Of course, the larger part belongs to God, but there's still a role, perhaps even a need, for human testimony in order that other people can recognize and receive and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that others might believe and have life in his name. When I was teaching a confirmation class about five or six years ago, <clears throat> I uh, was taking the young people around the church to see some of the different symbols and um, meanings that were built into the stained glass, not only in the sanctuary, but in other places. And on this floor in the back uh, northwest corner of the building, there's a centennial room that used to be a library and now is kind of an office space. But it's blessed with four beautiful windows. And at the top of each of those stained glass windows, there's a symbol and there is the words in small letters underneath each one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Taking the confirmands into the room, I asked them uh, to read the signs and, and take note and consider why did they suppose that there were windows with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John written on them? There was a very long pause during which time I seriously considered that we really needed to get the kids reading the Bible a little bit more. And then finally, some uh, brave soul spoke up hesitantly and said, is it because our minister is John? <laughs> well, kind of, yes. As a matter of fact, John is a uh, the most popular name given to uh, male infants in the English-speaking world for over 400 years. Only in the 1950s did it start to trail off, but true fact, I found out that John is still a name that 
will be associated with 40 out of 1,000 males in the United States, either in their first or middle name. John the Baptist leaves his mark. In Peter's, gospel, in Peter's uh, letter, I find out, though, that there is still room and need for more Johns in the world, people pointing, pointing the way, pointing out the source of goodness and light for their lives so that others might know it too. Let's take a look at 1 Peter. This letter was written in uh, this uh, late first century, probably to a church, a house church in Rome. And the people in that house church were likely folks who had once participated in the social and cultural life of their communities, but since their conversion to Christ, they'd become marginalized and ostracized and abused. Not government persecution at that point, but it, it was a society in which they, they felt um, that they were unwelcome, um, kind of a dangerous sectarian movement. And Peter's letter gives them advice on how to survive in that environment where they feel delegated to the margins. I wanted to uh, look at this scripture because in some ways, I think we today, although Christianity is, of course, the religion of probably the majority of people in this country and is certainly not persecuted by the government, in some ways we might feel, especially at this time, that we are pushed a little bit to the margins as people of faith. I know that for many people who are LGBT, um, who have experienced rejection or condemnation from faith communities and know others who have, many uh, friends may feel like Christianity is just a bad, bad uh, down road to go and not accepting and therefore not embracing of truth. And so it may not be easy to talk about your faith or to even let that part of your life into your relationship with others. I think today there are people who, in our political environment where um, politics has gotten kind of toxically mixed with religion in a lot of ways, people may look down on the religion um, of others that have been associated with political views that they find abhorrent or immoral. And you might even feel marginalized in expressing faith because the state the world is in right now might just make anyone who believes in the sovereignty of a good and just God might make us feel just a little defensive. So I think Peter's advice can be helpful to us too. And at the end of Peter's advice, he asks us to be a little bit like John the Baptist. And those wonderful words that always stuck in my head as a, as a child, be prepared to give an account of the hope that is within you. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, translation, The Message, puts it in a way that might be a little bit understand, more understandable. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ. Be ready to speak up 
and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always do it with the utmost courtesy. We're all called at different times and places to be ready to be someone's John, someone who will point them towards the light. How can we do that in this time in which it seems like there's so much darkness around and so much to be worried about? I want to just go through some of the verses of 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Before Peter gets to that big end load of be prepared to give an accounting of the hope that's within you, he starts out with advice on really loving one another. It's so important in these times in which there's so much bad news that Christians really are intentional about reaching out to strengthen each other's faith, to give each other encouragement, and to remind each other of the goodness of God. A small group um, of retiree ministry have been meeting with for several months um, and now uh, getting ready to uh, take leadership of their own small groups. Uh, we kind of prepared for that by asking people to talk about what, what benefit has there been from being part of a small weekly group that does Bible study and prays together. And these were some of the things that they said. It widens the circle of people I know that makes me feel part of a spiritual family. The group sharing addresses loneliness, knowing that others share some of the same fears I have. It helps to strengthen my faith as people share aspects of their faith. It nurtures my sense of well-being. It helps me process the scriptures in terms of meaning for my daily life. I feel strengthened by our prayer time together. It builds a community of people that I trust, and it offers a healthy challenge for thinking about my life. Peter knew that it would be important for people to strengthen, encourage, and be together, even virtually. These have been virtual gatherings, in order to keep up the hope within us. Second thing he says is, even though you may be ostracized, don't just keep to yourselves and live in a defensive mode. Keep striving to be an active force for goodness, even outside your little circle. In these times in which we've been so limited in the ways that we can gather physically together, I'm so proud of this congregation for the many ways that you have been striving to be an active force for goodness in our community, outside our little circle doubling the efforts to make sandwiches for uh, open shelter, making, uh, I put out a plea for masks to be made for protection, not only for the congregation, but for children in the LEC, and they were given just like that. Stepping up efforts to triple the number of families we're serving at Hubbard, being with school children who need help with remote learning, and so many other things. Making a trip in to pick up a box for Bethlehem on Broad and bringing it back and dropping off. Striving to be an active force for goodness. People have stepped up in large number to support the NEMAP food pantries. Peter also goes on to say, 
don't let your tongue stir up more negative energy. When, especially when things are hard, we don't need to make things seem harder by speaking negatively. Then he says, pray, pray, and pray. I've been really grateful for the people who have reached out to me, not on the prayer team, but others to say, you know, I'm increasing the way of my prayer time during, during this season. Many of us are praying very regularly for all of our healthcare workers and frontline essential workers. And then, with all of those things in place, be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you. We don't have to have the training of a, an official John to give, to give the word of hope. We just need to be able to share our experience and what gives us hope. So be thinking, what is keeping you hopeful these days? What is feeding your spirit and nurturing you? What do you believe? Be ready because someday you may have an opportunity and you might even pray for an opportunity to be able to share with someone a word when they need to hear it. It is great to be a witness with your actions, but sometimes words are necessary too. This is why in this wonderful passage where we affirm that Christ is light of the world, we also hear that Christ teaches us that we are light of the world. All of us during this season can be part of bearing the light by pointing to the light and reflecting it for others. Don't give up. God is with us. God is good. And God will continue to be light for this world. May we just gratefully reflect that light for others. Amen.